0: Folks, I appreciate you entrusting your pastor with someone you've never met, you've never heard before. And on our way down here, my wife said to me out of the blue. I have to understand we're friends, so forgive me. But you know, Miss Pastor John, we you know Miss John, and she says, "Why is John having you speak on marriage again?" She didn't know if we had maybe discussed our mar- marital philosophies. And I actually said, "I don't, I don't know. He doesn't have a clue about what I teach on marriage." And. He could be cleaning up by the time we're done. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, as we spend time together. Uh, I have known your pastor since he was a young man. He is no longer a young man, as you can tell by his efforts to look exquisite with his mustache. We call him the Geico guy up at our church. I don't know if that made it down here, but Geico can save you uh, 15% or more. <laughs> but uh, thank you for your hospitality it's been nice to get to know some of you uh, at our table got to know some couples and uh, Jeff I met Jeff first and Jeff's question was very uh, a very hospitable question it was uh, what makes you the expert on marriage and I thought here we go rough crowds in but I pointed to the Word of God if we follow the Word of God We can all be experts on marriage. That's the hard thing. It's following it because we're all robed with this flesh. But the problem is many of us don't know the Word of God. We go into marriage having ideas about what marriage will be. We have plans of what we think we should do. We watch couples and we say we're not going to do what they do. We listen to older couples and take advice, some of which is very, very good. But we still are, in many cases, biblically illiterate when it comes to marriage. And I have a passion for Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I love these three chapters. If you have your Bible, we're going to be reading a lot of it, so get your Bibles out. If you use a phone app, that would be great, because we will be reading. The handouts I gave you have quite a bit of information in them as far as verses. But uh, tonight, you can relax. I'm not going to be... (coughs) intruding into your marriages if this were back at my church I would do that if I knew you better I would do that I'd love to have a QA. and I love marriages I have a passion for it but because I don't know you I'm going to behave myself and not intrude too much and this will be uh, just teaching instructional information about marriage that I believe will help you no matter how many years you've been married I- I've I've been married for almost 24 years, and uh, I have learned more in my marriage than in anything else in life. Whether it's school, college, on the job, marriage has taught me more about God. It's taught me more about myself. It's taught me more about my wife. It's taught me more about men and women, which helps us parent our son and daughters. Helps me pastor men and women, boys and girls. Marriage is the great educator And uh, I watch people, I I watch couples, I observe, I'm fascinated by them. And I am amazed at how lost and saved people alike, old and young people alike, miss the most basic and obvious things about the Word of God when it comes to marriage, which is why we're going to be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, both sessions tonight, and then also on Sunday morning during what I think is your Bible class hour, your 10 o'clock hour. So we're going to read quite a bit in these three chapters. And I think every believer has to know that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we learn about God. We learn about his immense respect for the free will. And we learn about relationships between God and man, God and Satan, and man and man. And they set up all of life's relationships And they tell us what to expect or what to do. So that's what I hope you'll get out of uh, these next three sessions. But let's read verse 24. We're going to start with the sixth day of creation. Uh, This is the TGIF. Everyone knows what that acronym stands for. The sixth day of creation was a Friday. And that's when we were made. So we do thank God for Friday. And on verse number 24, the Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. Cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. In verse 26, you can almost hear the drum roll in heaven, the the uh, just the excitement building about God's greatest creation. And God said... <clears throat> Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. And these next six words should shape all of life for all of us, but they're often ignored. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. If this was written today in today's world, it would just say people. It would just say men, plural, to represent both men and women. But the Bible distinguishes between man and woman on the day of creation, not just in the summarized version of the creation story, but as we're going to read tonight in the detailed version in chapter 2. And so our first session we're going to talk about tonight is the foundation of marriage. Because at the very base of all of our marriages, whether we're Matthew and Morgan, just freshly married, or they don't have a clue what they've gotten into, they don't know how hard it's going to be. I'm speaking very ignorantly of you too, by the way. Or Jeff and his wife, because he's got it all figured out. He told me before this. <laughs> but it doesn't matter who we are, where we are, at the base of our marriage, the very foundation... Is that you and I are male and female and in our politically correct world we believe marriage is just the union of two people any two people but in a biblically correct view of marriage marriage is the union between one man and one woman as designed by our Creator now we've known this for of course Thousands of years, it's been common knowledge that men and women marry. And we have taken that for granted, that that defines what marriage is. And now because of the politically correct environment, we're all stepping around on our tiptoes afraid to point out that there is a tremendous difference between men and women and that marriage should be between a man and a woman. So we don't emphasize that in our lives, in our churches. And as a result, we are missing out on perhaps... The most important piece of the puzzle because of that foundational picture. Again, I I talk to men and I'm amazed that when they describe their marriage to me, they don't quite get it. They know they're married to a woman because she looks different than him, but they are puzzled because she doesn't think like him, she doesn't talk like him, she doesn't problem solve like him. And these men conclude she's broken, something's wrong with her, and they're frustrated. And then you talk to women, and they're just like, yeah, this guy, and the way he thinks, and the way he talks, and they just go on and on, like they're expecting to be married to someone just like them who looks a little different and smells a little worse. But we are married to somebody who is entirely different than us. Polar opposites. And if we don't realize that, then we're going to have a lot of problems in our marriage. I feel so strongly about the phrase, Male and female created he them. That if I could, I would change the bylaws of our church constitution. And when you become a member, you have to get a plaque that puts, that's put up on your living room wall that says, Male and female created he them. I feel that strongly about it. Um, let me put it this way. Give you a hypothetical scenario. You're an explorer. And you love to see the world. And you get on a boat and you go down the Amazon River and you end up at what appears to be a little landing for a boat and you get out of your boat to walk into a village and it's very early in the morning. The sun hasn't even risen yet, but you can tell the wa- that there are some dirt roads there and they're very, very wide. And you notice all these grass huts have what appear to be big hangars next to each of their grass huts, which you find interesting. And as the sun is rising over the horizon, You hear all of a sudden engines all across this village turning on. And you're not sure what they are until out of the hangars, one by one, come Cessnas, Cessna planes. And you think, wow, a village in the middle of nowhere. They have Cessnas. And these Cessnas are coming out onto the roads, and they're driving through the village. They're going to school to drop their kids off. They're going to the grocery with very big parking lots, with very wide parking spots. And you notice there's no airstrip. And so you ask one of the villagers, you're new to the air, and you say, what are you all doing driving around in Cessnas? And the person says, I know. Aren't they incredible? They're so much more comfortable than riding on donkeys. And they're so much more easier than walking to church and to the store and to school. And you say to them, well, where did you get these? Well, we found one that had Been broken in the jungle. We didn't know where it came from. We had no idea, but we were able to reproduce and build them. And we've realized that you can drive them to all kinds of places. To which you would say, But they're made to fly. You understand, you can fly from your village hundreds of miles away to another village. You can go up in the air and over the trees and over the river. And the villager looks at you and says, What? They can do that. That's what I believe God is doing looking down on our world, watching our marriages just barely get through and barely get by and offer very little fulfillment, very little satisfaction, because we're not doing marriage as God designed marriage to do. Because we're missing. He designed marriage for one man and one woman. Not because we look different, not because we have different reproductive organs, but because we are fundamentally, through and through, different men and women. Heterosexual marriages can work. They can. You know people who are saved that it works. You know people who are lost that it works. I dare say even unbiblical homosexual marriages can work. They do, some of them. But none of those marriages work to their fullest potential and thrive and fly as God intended without recognizing that at the base of marriage, God made us male and female. And that defines everything. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and start with our first point. Genesis chapter 2. I've given you notes to follow along. My wife says I'm boring, so I give you something to kind of follow along. She doesn't say that. She did suggest I do notes about six What six months ago we started doing this at church. And I said, why? Well, it'll help people pay attention. <laughs> so you don't have to do them, but they're there for you. This is the, the detailed breakdown of that sixth special day of creation. Verse number seven. And we'll read a bunch here, so stay, stay with me. What time do I have till, Pastor? It's 7.40 now. When do you want to be done? We've got to about ten after. Is that right? Ten fifteen after. We we'll take a break. Yep. Ten after eight. Yes, sir. Okay. I like that. Verse seven. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. out of man. If you're taking notes, write down the first thing we're going to find out tonight. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, have a different origin. There is a different origin for male and female. We're not just different in what we look like. We're not just different in our appearance, and thank God we are, but we're different in where we came from. We're different in what we were made of. And you might say, well, does that really matter? Well, let me ask you this. Does it matter what the restaurant made your hamburger out of? Of course it does, right? Does it matter what materi- material your boat is derived from? Of course it does. In fact, pick any product that you want in your mind and ask yourself, does it matter where it came from? And it does because the materials from which we make our products those materials give our products the qualities they have. In other words, if you have a boat that was made out of a product, a metal that rusts, well, your boat's going to rust. If you have a shirt whose textiles were made out of a material that shrinks, then your shirt's going to shrink. If you're going to have a meal that is made out of fatty foods, well, then your food, your meal is going to be fatty. So absolutely, it matters where things come from. And On your sheets, you can see a little breakdown, but write this down. For obvious purposes, ladies, your husbands come from the ground, and husbands, your wives come from man. What does that mean? Well, it means, secondly, that ladies, your husband is going to be bent toward the ground. He's going to be bent towards where he came from. And ladies, or husbands, that means your wives are going to be bent not towards the ground like you are, but they're going to be bent towards you because they came from you. Ladies, have you ever felt invisible in your own home? Don't answer that out loud. I have to tell the church to do that at home. (laughs) You ever feel like, you know, your husband notices everything but you? How come he can find that one shingle on the roof that's curling, but not notice you're wearing a new dress? How is it your husband knows the exact size of the tire on every vehicle he owns, but doesn't have a clue about your shoe size? Have you noticed that he, your husband, sees everything materialistic? He sees the ground in which he came from. He sees the world around him, but you seem to be at times invisible to him. And vice versa, guys, have you noticed... That your wife sees everything about you. She sees your flaws. She sees your faults. She sees your successes. She sees what you're good at, what you're bad at. She notices when your shirt's not clean. She notices when your shoes aren't shined. She notices what you're doing well, what you're not doing well. Uh, Your wife has an eye for you because she came from you. And ladies, your husband has an eye for the world around him because he came from the world around him so fill out in your little charts because someday you might need to remind yourself that your husband's not broken he's just naturally bent to the world in which he came from and guys your wife isn't weird she's not broken she isn't all mixed up she's inclined to see where she came from it's natural for her we're not going to take the time to look at it but the curse That we will look at on Sunday morning. If you know anything about how God cursed Adam and Eve, it's very particular to where they came from. In fact, when God cursed Eve, he said, uh, it's going to be hard for you to have kids and your desire is going to be towards your husband. Those were both relational problems. And then to Adam, what does he say? The ground is cursed for thy sake. In fact, in sorrow you're going to eat of it. Thorns and thistles it will bear unto you. And all of the curse on Adam is logistical. So God is taking what is going to hurt them the most. If God said to Adam, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for you at home. He's like, what? Where? Who? He don't care. But if works hard... Well, he does care about that because that that's what he was designed to do. He's inclined to that. So why does this matter? It matters because we get into a lot of fights simply because we think differently, we act differently, we, we, we see things differently, and we don't realize that our spouse is not broken. They're not weird. They're different, and they're different by design. There's a famous book, you should all be familiar with it at this point, that says men are from like some oh Mars, and women are from Venus, right? And it's a book that just says, hey, we're super different. We're from two different planets. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I like the way the Bible puts it. The Bible teaches that men are from the ground and women are from the rib, because now that, that gives us a genetic, a, maybe a DNA, for which, us, for which we can see they're not just from different places, but the different places are intentional, because that's what makes us who we are the materials from which we came. If your marriage is going to work as God intended it to, you have to appreciate his design. Don't take it personal. She's doing what she was designed to do. He's doing what he was designed to do. He's thinking the way he was designed to think. Husbands, I will say this. This is not a license for you to be more concerned with your lawn than with your wife. And wives, this isn't a license for you to be more concerned with your husband's role in marriage than with your own, but temper your expectations of each other. It will help just doing that little thing. Do you know where they don't teach this? In the world in which we live, because that's sexist, and we're all the same, aren't we? Equal rights, equal everything. We're all, there's no difference between us. Well, immediately our young people who going into marriage with that idea are going to be set up for failure. Because they've been told we're the same, we're the same. You get married, and then you say you're weird, you're different, you don't think like me, so you're bad. We're gonna have some problems that marriage. All right, is anybody here sensitive? Yes. We are. I don't, I don't know who. Oh, somebody is. Okay. <laughs> well, let's get into First Timothy two. Put your finger though there in Genesis chapter two. We've got to get to what I think is so crucial to our marriages. In 1 Timothy 2, it will reference Genesis 2, and we'll come back to it, but this is the second thing that the creation story teaches us. Wow, it's 10 to 8 already. It's a good thing I move along. I got time, all right. Write down number two. There is a different order in our creation. There's a different origin. We come from two different materials, but there's a different order, and the Bible makes it abundantly clear. But this is a sensitive topic in the day and age in which we're living. From bathrooms to the swimming pool to the workplace, our society is trying to make both sexes the same. It's the height of foolishness, and as far as I'm concerned, it's satanic. But if the different sexes are the foundation of marriage, then it makes sense for Satan to just subtly try to make those two the same thing. It makes sense that he would create hatred for anything that distinguishes between male and female, whether politics, sports, religion. I have two daughters, and um, they're great kids. We have a very open family where we talk about everything, and I make sure that no one's sensitive. But I intentionally point out all the slow drivers to my daughter. And I say, now, honey, as we drive past them, would you please identify their gender? (laughs) Dad! No offense, ladies, if you're a fast driver, but I'm a profiler, so I know who's driving what car. If it's a white car, a white SUV, or a crossover, it's usually a lady or an old guy, for what it's worth. If it's a crazy driver, it's a guy. So we got it all figured out. Anyways, why do I do that? And she Dad, you can't say those things. I want her to know that we can and we need to, and it's okay that we're different. And we're going to talk about who's more important than who isn't. <laughs> Um, what I'm about to say would be vehemently opposed in the world in which you're living but what is greatly concerning me is that it is intentionally being ignored by the church pastors are not touching on these passages because it's uncomfortable and as a result we are leaving our men and women ignorant towards the design God had for the genders for the sexes you say does it matter what we're about to say well Yes, I think it does matter that man was made before woman. Because it mattered to God. In fact, it matters what order we are in in anything in life. The Olympians this summer, it's all about order. They want to be first across that line. Um, If you're a Jewish son, it matters that you're born first to get that patriarchal blessing. If you love the road Texas Roadhouse like I do, it matters what order you're in that line to get in. But it mattered to God that man was created first. Remember, male and female created he then. And we just read Genesis 2, which tells us clearly that Adam was formed first. But let's read verse number 8, 1 Timothy 2. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then in verse 9, he addresses the women intentionally second. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. In our Western 2024 world, That sounds really bad. None of you are willing to agree to that. It does, doesn't it? I don't lead Sunday morning services with this passage, okay? But that's what the Word of God says. But hang on, because it's not what the world in which you're living would make it seem like it is. Verse 12, Paul says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp the authority over the man, but... To be in silence. That sounds bad. And then he says in verse 13, "For Adam was first formed then Eve. So evidently the order in which God created men and women matters. The real question is, why does it matter? Does it make Adam more important that he was created first? Is he more special because he was made first? That's not really fair to the woman. She didn't have anything to say with that. But the next verse gives us some insight into why Paul tells us about the order of Adam and Eve. He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Let me ask you a question, don't answer out loud, but is this God punishing all of the women of our world because Eve was deceived and Adam wasn't? Or is this God saying, hey, My boy Adam, he didn't. He didn't give in to Satan's deception. He still ate because he didn't want to live alone, but he wasn't deceived. So we're going to have men teach the church, not women, because Eve screwed up and Adam did it. Is that really what the Bible teaches? No. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2, because it points us back to the creation story. And I think there is another breadcrumb to understanding the order In verses 15 and 16 of Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This is prior to the creation of Eve. And in verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the... Who who did God command? You can answer this one. Commanded the who? The man. The man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And you know the rest of the story. You understand that God did not wait to create Eve before he gave Adam and Eve the command not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The story is God created man. He then said to him, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he created Eve. So the order is given to us and it's connected to God giving Adam a commandment that he was then to relay to his wife. And nothing in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is written by accident or without significance. So I'm going to conclude, which I think is a safe conclusion based on the totality of the word of God, that God did not create Eve to be weaker than Adam, nor did he create Adam to be stronger than Eve. But yes, God did create Adam first because he was going to be designed to lead his wife. If you're going to build a football team, you don't start with the water boy. You don't start with the receiver. You don't start with the running back. If you want to build a franchise that's going to win Super Bowls, you find yourself a franchise quarterback and you build around him. So you're starting with your leader. You're starting with the man who is equipped to take your team down the field and score points. And when God created a union between man and a woman that was going to succeed, he started with the man and he gave him him the command and he says, you're going to lead your wife. You're not smarter than her necessarily. You're not any better than her necessarily. You're not more special than her necessarily, but you are different. You have been designed intentionally different. I'm starting with you. Yes, Adam was created to lead, and Eve was created to facilitate that leadership. Adam was wired to lead, and Eve was wired to follow. Let's talk about why Adam and Eve are different in their order. And I think everyone will leave this room agreeing with me and appreciate why the Bible tells us what it tells us. Do we think God made Eve stupider than Adam? The answer is no, please, help me out. Otherwise, we will look like we're in trouble here. No. No. (laughs) Did he create Adam with this supreme intelligence and then gave him a woman who had all these deficiencies that he had to nurture because she was just so weak? No, I don't think that's the case. He created two incredible specimens, two amazing creatures. But one of them was deceived by the serpent and the other one wasn't. So either one was smarter than the other or one was just different than the other. The answer is they're different. Have you noticed that you think differently, husband and wife? Have you noticed that you react to the world very differently than each other? Because you do. In fact... It's really simple, guys think about four things. I've added a fifth thing in our world, but we wake up and we think about working so we can eat, and we like sex, and we can watch sports, and we like to sleep. We do it it again tomorrow. Work, eat, sex, sports, sleep. Work, eat. And we do this every day, don't we gentlemen? Come on guys, do we not do this every day? Yes. Ladies, would you welcome the typical woman's mindset? (laughs) I mean, it's kids, husband, kids, chocolate, coffee, work, friends, social media, and the mind is just bursting Now, Listen, we joke about it, but this is not me being condescending to a woman to say, look at you, you're crazy. No, this is me being honest. That's amazing. That's amazing. If the world was just men, work, eat, sleep, sex, sports, work, it would be a boring life. It would be full of the simplistic things, black and white. But women bring color. They bring thoughts. Like, look around you. Do you think any man designed anything in this room? (laughs) No, anything beautiful, anything with color, anything with with fun and, and emotion and feeling, it comes from a woman's mind. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, if you're the serpent, this is a super important point. Please, understand God's design for us. If you are a serpent, you're Satan, you're a master at deception, you are incredibly good at taking something bad and packaging it up and making it look good whose mind would you rather work with? There's a reason Adam wasn't deceived. Work, eat, sleep. He just had a few things. So when the serpent said, you're not going to die, he goes, no, God told me. Yes, no. That's how we are. We, we don't get tricked very easily because it's just simple. But you see, the serpent can take all of these things in a woman's mind. He has a lot of shapes, a lot of colors to work with. And he can take a little bit here, and a little bit there, and he packages something up that a woman says, Oh, you're right. This could bring me and Adam closer together. You're right. God does want us to stay where we are. And before long, she was falling for this, not because she's not smart, but because she has a lot more to work with. And God said to Adam, You tell your wife the command, and you lead her, because she's not designed like you. Men are designed, and this is not politically correct, nor is it becoming in Christianity even welcome, but men were designed to be in the front lines of the spiritual battle in which we're living. A woman was not designed to be at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was not designed to be at the front lines waging war against deceit and deception. Adam, he's wired for it, because we're just not that complicated. So the devil has less to work with. You know, the devil very rarely deceives a man. Very rarely, he just slips a beautiful woman in front of him because all he thinks about is work, eat, sex. And so it gets a man's mind and screwed up because it's simple. But a woman, the battlefield for Satan is expansive. Just about anything and everything he can throw at her and her mind's just going to keep thinking over and over. I was talking to my wife about something recently and she she learns about men through me, as she should, and I learn about women through her, as I should. And she was interested about how a young man who was doing something bad can seemingly rebound and not destroy him. And I said, "Hun, men are very simple. It's either start or stop. If you're not going to stop, then you start. We just don't think about it that much. She says, well, a woman would just think about it all night, all day. All week. I said, No. That's why God says to us men, we lead. Because it's either start or stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You say, why does this matter to my marriage? Because it will help you not to take your, per- your spouse's different mindset personal. She's just different. He's just different. And I will say to, to you gentlemen, get on the front spiritual lines. Your marriage has no shot if your wife is waging war with the devil on your behalf. She's not designed for it. You're saying she's weaker? No, she's beautiful. She's amazing. She's not designed for that. That's why Paul in this passage says, I will that men pray everywhere. Lifting up, what kind of holy hands? Non-greasy hands. They're holy. Sometimes we have to put the wrench down and get home to be with our wives because she's struggling. Why did Eve get into temptation again? Because Adam was busy working. He should have been watching his wife. Not the babysitter. but we're in a battle. We're going to learn about that on Sunday. All right, let's look at uh, verse number 15 again and look at number 3. We're just about done. Write down a different ordination. This will be much more brief. You see why our young people are at a disadvantage? These things are not being taught, obviously, in the world. And I would argue they're not even being taught in churches. Because it's just We can't talk that way. It's 2024. You can't distinguish between men and women like that. You cannot seemingly put a woman in a position that makes her different than a man. We have to. Otherwise, we're driving Cessnas around our village thinking it's wonderful. When God designed it To fly. To fly. Verse number 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Remember that. But verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. Question, Did Adam need any help for the work that God called him to do? In the garden, you know, to till it. No, otherwise God could have just created a John Deere, right? A cultivator. He could have given him tools. So the passage tells us that it wasn't good that he was alone. And then God said, I'm going to make a help for him. So that means the help that God says he needs is emotional, not physical, not logistical. It's emotional. It's relational. Adam needed a companion to combat his loneliness. So in verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Churches are trying to make the Bible fit modern culture, which ultimately embraces evolution and feminism. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is abundantly clear. We were made from different things at different times, ultimately to do different things. God took Adam and said, Here's the Garden of Eden. And then he took woman. He he said, here's the man. He did very different things when he created them. He put Adam into the garden, but he put Eve into the arms of Adam. Adam. He put a tool in Adam's hand, and he put man's hand in Eve's hand. Here it goes. You ready? Adam was ordained to spend time with the material from which he was made, and Eve was ordained to spend time with the material from which she was made. Did you get that? I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to defend anybody or endorse anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. The Bible said God put Adam in the garden to till it, and then he put Eve in the hands of the man, essentially, to be his companion. So, ladies, have you noticed that your husband is the happiest when his job is going well? Gentlemen, have you noticed that your wife is the happiest when her marriage is going well? We just try to make everyone the same. We tell our wives, your career will make you happy. We tell our husbands, our marriage will make you happy. And actually it doesn't work that way because we weren't designed to do those things necessarily out of the gate. If you want to write down in your notes these final few things, wives don't know that their husbands are fulfilled by getting things done. And husbands don't realize their wives are fulfilled by getting things done together. I know someone out there, probably multiple people are thinking, well, that's not my husband. That's not my wife. I know there are exceptions to the rule, but... Tracing our genetic tendencies back to the garden from which God created us, it will help you understand each other. Men are wired to work, period, and women are wired to take a walk and on that walk to talk. Men are wired for responsibility, women are wired for companionship. If your hus- husband's not very responsible, He's a very unfulfilled man, and he's a sinful man, like all of us. The curse changed a lot of this and made it difficult, but as originally intended, men were designed to be responsible, to lead, to get things done, to take care of their homes and families. As a general rule, wives were created to bring companionship. When women aren't relational within the home, they're deeply unfulfilled, and that will impact the marriage I'll, I'll finish with this big picture thought let's go back in our minds to creation and i'll be done with this so in creation you have six days of creation the seventh day he rests but take a step back and, and what did god do on day number one he said let there be light and so you have on day one light in darkness because there was already darkness there what are these two polar opposites The light exposes the darkness, and the darkness teaches us about the light. Then day number two, he says, we got this firmament. Let's split it. Let's put something in the middle. Let's call it nothing. That's why we call it space. So you have something and nothing. What are those? Opposites. The space defines something, and something defines nothing. Then on day three, if my story is right, he says, let's put the seas over here and the land over there. Let's make sure we know the difference. So you have earth and seas, polar opposites. They define each other. Where are you going? To the ocean. Then on day number four, he creates the sun and the moon. Well, once for day, once for night. They're like opposite. You never really see them together. And when you do, it's a big deal. Then on day number five, he creates the fish and the fowl. One's in the air, one's in the water. One flies and one swims. They're like opposite. (coughs) And day number six, he creates male and female. The story of creation, you ready? God says, I'm going to create polar opposites every day. And they're going to work together in harmony. And it's going to be awesome. But we have to recognize we're opposites if it's ever going to work. Think about that day five when the fish and the fowl are created. What if the fish and the fowl decided to marry? That's an awkward marriage, right? Does the fish try to change the fowl? Be foolish to do that because you can't change him. He flies. He's always going to fly. Does the fowl try to change the fish? Well, that would be foolish. It wouldn't survive out of the water. It doesn't know how to fly. It can't fly. It's not designed to do that. So if the fowl and the fish are going to get married, they have to meet somewhere in the middle where one can be in the water, one can be in the air, and now together they embrace their differences, not fight about them, and they now can can tackle the whole world together because two are better than one. But if we want to fight about our differences... We can't handle the air or the fish, or the sea rather, and we can't do anything. The key to your marriage from the very beginning, what we should be teaching our kids, what we should be teaching our people in churches, what we should be starting our counseling with is, you're crazy different. You'll never be the same. Don't try to make each other the same. Embrace who you both are from the very beginning. God said male and female created he them. Different origin, a different order. In a different ordination, what to do. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have Pastor John give us directions. Father, thank you for the tenderness of the hearts in this room. People have invested their time and money to be here. That means their marriage is important to them, and it's important enough for them to submit to your word, to submit to the teaching of your word. And God, I pray that you would take what is so obvious to us and actually bring it and put it in front of our faces that we might remember it in real time, every day, that you created us distinctly to be different. And if our marriage is going to work, we have to recognize that. We have to know who we are and who our spouses are, not because of biology, but because of theology. Bless the rest of this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.